Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Listening to Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Roll that yeah. beautiful bean footage. Roll <laughs> tad. Do we already talk about your bean thing on an I, episode, or was that offline? I honestly don't know, but. I am. It's worth a revisit if we, if even if we. Did. I'm so grateful for I my think wedding we gifts. Did talk about it. Bush's baked beans has great swag. Phenomenal merch, mm-hmm. and for my our wedding gift, Kenyon sent me the "In this house, we eat beans" doormat. <laughs> <laughs> the bean hat. I have a tap to toe. Baked bean sweatsuit that is like beans. Like when I showed it to gravy Zach, he beans. Gasped. <laughs> it's like, like, I described it to him first and then I showed it to him and he gasped and he was like, I, I didn't know the beans would be that big. They're the print so big. of the beans is very large. So prominent. big. And then she also threw in a magnet of the, the beautiful bean footage golden retriever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's on my fridge. I love it. It's great. I wear this hat like every day. <laughs> I love it so much. I got the same one and then Corey stole it immediately. Because what'd you get in the mail from Bush's Baked Beans? My outfit today, though. <laughs> My outfit is very much giving, like, Rachel Levis TMZ interview. Totally. <laughs> you beauty queen. <laughs> but it's a little toasty in my office. So I took she my looked off. like, uh, what was The alien name? from E.T.? Gypsy Rose Lee yes, Blanchard. She does one look of like them. Gypsy Rose Is it Blanchard. Rachel or Raquel? It's Rachel. What? She goes by Raquel. She changed her own name to Raquel. Her name she is She didn't Rachel. legally change it, but in elementary school or something, there were like two other Rachels in her class, so she decided to go by Raquel. But her legal name is Rachel. Okay. Bye, bitch. It's okay. still better than Hilaria. Hilaria oh, Baldwin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is hilarious, though. I wanted to be Lisa after Lisa Frank or Nicole after... Anna Nicole Smith. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> after the O.J. Simpson case. Oh. Nicole Brown Simpson. <laughs> Poor Nicole Brown Simpson. You what? Poor baby. I didn't quite get the whole thing. We were in third grade, but I love that name. I knew there was something name. with a glove. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, who are we? Nicole. Oh. Rachel. I'm Nicole. Kenyon, a.k.a. Nicole. <laughs> I'm Lucy. I don't think I had a Lucy was my nickname. Yeah, I'm Amanda. I don't Mund. Mund. Mm-hmm. Amanda. In ninth grade, I wanted uh my friends to call me Mary Legs. <laughs> I Mary don't remember that. Legs. Mary Legs. Like the horse, Mary Legs. I don't know. It was it was a joke. <laughs> Jessica and I had nicknames for each other in our photo class. Well, she called me Mary Legs. I don't remember what hers was. I think that nickname died with our friend. <laughs> died well before that. Well uh, before. Let it 
That go. nickname killed <laughs> our friend. Yeah, way to go, Mary Legs. Gave her leukemia. <laughs> yep. Years later. It was me. He planted the seed. Okay. Now. Well, anyway, I don't know <laughs> that, where that we are or what we're doing. Yeah, okay. Please. <laughs> Only we could turn that conversation that dark in two directions Straight that up. quickly. Okay. We have a very special gals pick mm-hmm. this week brought to you by us, namely me, because yeah, she I wanted really to do an wanted to cover episode. my case. Yep. <laughs> Kenyon wanted to rage. Yep. I needed to rage about this case because it's so <laughs> egregious. So uh, I forced upon these two the topic of unjust judges. <laughs> uh, this podcast and this topic. Yeah, I love this, it. This career and this particular episode. <laughs> Fabulous. Yeah. And also like sailing and debate club and I, Murphy's Landing. Murphy's Landing. I did not College. get sucked into sailing. <laughs> Politics. Or the debate club. I did get Being sucked. Being a Democrat. I did get briefly sucked into debate. Yeah. I debate was already was a Democrat because I was fighting on the bus in fourth grade with Blortney about Bush versus Gore. Mm-hmm. Blortney. Well, she, we were children. She didn't fucking know. I think she just wanted she just wanted to be contrarian to me. That's mm-hmm. all. That's mm-hmm. fair. Yeah. That it was like we were battling between that and who could draw the most sperm on like the fogged up school bus windows. <laughs> it was like a very whether Bush or Gore could whether Blort <laughs> or Mund could. Mund Mund always won that game. Have I told you Zach's this is really off the rails. Have I told you Zach's uh, meeting Al Gore story? No. No. Inventor of the internet? Yeah. So Al Gore came to our college, Hamilton College, when we were like sophomores or something. He was like the great name speaker or whatever. And a few students, like there was like a lottery for student tickets and Zach won. And he won the like higher tier level ticket where uh, he got to actually meet Al Gore and do like a photo Get filleted op. by Al Gore. Right. Luck. That was the highest tier ticket. He didn't get that one. He got mm. the bummer. No fellatio ticket. Mm. But so they're doing like this photo op, whatever. And uh, at the time, man, bear pig, like that <laughs> whole thing was huge. From South Park. From South Park. Man, bear pig is real. I saw him. <laughs> and... He was like shaking Al Gore's hand and said something about like, you know, I love all the work that you're doing. And but how do you feel about the threat to the United States of man bear pig? No, he did he not. Did. To Al Gore's face. Oh, my God. That little Zach? sophomore shit oh, stain, my- Zach. Yeah. And Al Gore goes, haha, take the picture. <laughs> Good for Gore. Good for her. God. <laughs> Fucking... We are so annoying. Yeah. yeah. He, just humanity is so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking over it. Anyway, yep. man, bear, pig. That's cute and terrible and I hate it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So unjust judges. What mm-hmm. is our wine crime pairing, Amanda? Well, I have another bottle from that Blue Ridge winery in Pennsylvania that I had the glitter wine from. Nice. And the glitter wine... Fucked me up. So I am yeah, ready to go. 
this doesn't pertain to Kenyon's case, really, but it very much pertains to mine. So that's why I went with this. But I chose Blue Ridge, the Godfather, Petite Syrah Red Blend. Mm, I think it kind of pertains to my case. And we'll that's get fair. To it. My case has a lot of like mob being paid off by the mob mm. shit. I like cool. that. So I just thought this would fit. It's also one of the top rated wines in the world. So I'm very curious wow. how this is. Yeah, get a taste. It's predominantly Petite Syrah. It packs a punch at 14.5% ABV. That's going to be fun. Wow. They do it very small batch. Each like run of this particular blend, they only do 75 bottles per round of it. And it's aged in bourbon barrels. So oh. it gives it a little bit of like a vanilla kind of maple oak mm. flavor to it. But it's still a nice full bodied red. It's got like nice round tannins. So you're going to get some of that like lip smack mouth watering. Maybe I'll get some wine teeth today. Yeah. This is the hope. So I'm very excited to try this out. Nice. I'm going to pop it open with an XOXO, the Wine and Crime Gals iridescent wine key which i believe is still available at our online store mm-hmm. wine and as well as our oh, yeah. new and amazing I blood spatter tees shirts they yeah. are so soft yeah Way so comf. cute so perfect for summer mm-hmm. they're like flowy they're so not this cute they're not rigid. They're like this really breathable fabric when it's really hot. Say your air conditioner uh, broke and you're waiting yeah. to see if it can be repaired and it's supposed to be in the 90s all week. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Raise your hand if that's happening to you. Currently. Yeah. Two out of three. Two out of three. Cool. Uh, are we ready to pop? Yep. Ready. Right, here we go. Oh. oh. Ooh. Nice pop. pop. Yum. You know what I had last night Mm. that was really good? A Corona. Yum. (laughs) (laughs) Straight up, every once in a while, a Corona is fucking where it's at. Yeah. So I was just really boiling hot in my house. Yeah. And I didn't want to be fucked up, but I just wanted a beer. And it tasted so fucking good. I get that. I totally get that. Good for you. Yeah. Okay. Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. Lucy, what is our background and maybe psych for unjust judges? I don't have any psych, but I do have like a mini case. Cool. I love that. Okay, so there's kind of a lot of dry stuff to get through, but I feel like it's important to understand. Okay. Because the judicial system is actually fairly complicated. Mm Mm-hmm. So according to my boyfriend and lover, a judge is a public official vested with the authority to hear, determine, and preside over legal matters brought into a court of law. Mm. The administrative office of the U.S. courts states that there are two types of court systems. We have federal and state, and therefore we have two different categories of judges. So the vast majority of this is about federal judges. Ooh, that wine is really tasty. Article 3 of the Constitution invests the judicial power of the U.S. in the federal court system. Within the system, there are 13 U.S. Court of Appeals, Courts of Appeal, Court of Appeals, I don't know. Coles to sack. Mm-hmm. Passersby. <laughs> 94 U.S. District Courts, the U.S. Court of Claims, and the U.S. Court of International Trade. If parties are dissatisfied with a decision made within these courts, they may appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals, 
And if they're dissatisfied with that decision, they might ask the U.S. Supreme Court to review a decision. But the Supreme Court is not obligated to take on that case. I did not know that there was there was one overarching U.S. Court of Appeals. There I, are 13 U.S. Court of Appeals. Courts w- of oh, Appeals I guess I, or Court I thought of you were appeals. saying that there were the 13 and then there was one more and then there was the Supreme Court. But that's not mm. what you're saying. No, I think that if you if whatever given court you don't like their verdict that you ask go to your nearest court of appeals okay then i did understand it correctly okay yeah so again the u.s supreme court is not obligated to take on any given case and they are the final decider of federal constitutional questions and so if they don't take on the case then the last ruling by whatever u.s court of appeals stands yes That is my interpretation. I think you can ask the Supreme Court more than once to review Mm. your case. But as far as like, you know, what happens in the interim. Stays in the interim. Yeah. That the last judgment stands. Mm -hmm. Within the federal court system, judges are appointed and or nominated by the president and are confirmed by the Senate. So these judges are often called Article Three judges, and they include Supreme Court justices. Also saying this now, the difference between a judge and a justice is that justices sit on the really high courts, mm-hmm. but they're basically the same thing. Mm-hmm. We have the Court of Appeal judges, District Court judges, and Senior judges. Article Three also states that these judges, quote, hold their office during good behavior and not Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Meaning that unless they're impeached by the House of Representatives and then convicted by the Senate, mm-hmm. they will have a lifetime appointment and their salary can't be reduced as long as they are in their appointment. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. According to the Supreme Court, the only justice to have ever been impeached was Associate Justice Samuel Chase in 1805. He was impeached by the House of Representatives on the ground of letting his partisan leanings affect his court decisions. You You don't don't say. (laughs) However, he was acquitted by the Senate. So really, no judge has lost their judgeship in this way. Wow. According to the Supreme Court, the Constitution does not specify qualifications for Supreme Court justices, such as age, education, profession, or even native-born citizenship. That's why the Republicans keep finding really, really young ones. Mm -hmm. Random. Yeah, there are no stipulations. Mm -hmm. Technically, they don't even need to be lawyers or law school graduates. That's Don't love that. Though all For the Supreme Court? Though all justices have been trained in law. So James What does F- that even mean? If I watch enough YouTube videos, can I sit on the fucking Supreme Court? If you have gone to law school at all, but you don't have to have graduated with any or specific degree bar. or passed what the bar. What if I've partied with law students at a small liberal arts college mm-hmm. in upstate New York. If you can mm-hmm. be nominated by the president and approved by the House of, or by I mean, the we're Senate. We're getting to the point where, like, mm-hmm. if Trump gets reelected and gets another fucking pick. Then the I could Supreme be on the Supreme Court. Court. Yeah. yeah, he'd totally choose you. 
All right, mm-hmm. Trump, Trump 2024. Let's Ish. fucking do it. Oh, God. I'm ready. So James F. Burns, who served from 1941 to 1942, was the last justice to be appointed who did not attend any law school. But he did study law and he did pass the bar at the age of 23, which is really young. Mm-hmm. So just for some context, the average age of a first year law student is 24. Mm-hmm. So most people don't pass the bar until like their mid twenties, mid to late twenties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also such a thing as an Article One judge, which includes bankruptcy bankruptcy judges, which is self-explanatory. Those judges serve fourteen year terms, mm-hmm. and also magistrate judges. So magistrate judges are usually the first federal judicial officer that a person sees after they get arrested or indicted in a federal court system. Okay. Okay. They also authorize warrants and hear matters in felony criminal cases. These magistrate judges are appointed by a majority of the U.S. district judges in each judicial district for a renewable term of eight years. Mm -hmm. And there are also part-time magistrate judges who only have four-year terms, like no commitment, (laughs) (laughs) which I think is weird. Okay, so when Donald Trump recently was indicted and went to court, he was seen by just a regular ass magistrate judge and not the judge that he had appointed who will probably be overseeing his actual trial. Correct. Hmm. Yes. Magistrate judges, along with bankruptcy judges, they must meet certain eligibility criteria, which includes at least five years as like a good bar guy. Passing the bar and like chill, doing well, doesn't eat all the peanuts. Yeah. Okay. Your your fave bar regular. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good at darts. So they also have to be vetted by a combination of lawyers and non-lawyers from the community. So there's like a full process. The community gets a say to some Mm -hmm. extent. Mm Mm-hmm. Overall, it's up to the district to assign the specific duties of a magistrate judge because they're It varies wherever you go. But they do have one very important rule, and that is you may not shorten their title to just magistrate. It's very specific by the Administrative Office of the U.S. Courts that they are a magistrate judge. Okay. Okay. Don't get it twisted. No. Very, very strict about that. Well, because a magistrate is something different in, like, Europe, right? Old England, probably. Yeah, magistrate is something totally different, but I don't know. So moving on to the state court system. The constitution and laws of each state establish the state courts, and since the state court also interprets state laws, it helps the state retain power and ensures that the federal government doesn't become, you know, too strong, too overbearing. Mm. State courts are courts of what's called general jurisdiction, and they hear all cases that are not specifically selected for federal courts. These cases include most criminal cases, probate, most contract cases, tort cases, which are personal injuries, as we learned in A-Hole Attorneys, Mr. Belly, Mm -hmm. that crazy guy with the fur coats. Oh, I love him. The tort king. Mm -hmm. Tort king. And family law, which includes marriage, divorce, adoptions, etc. According to the Judicial Learning Center, about 90% of all cases heard in the American court system happen at a state level. Judges at this level are selected in a variety of ways, including an election, an appointment for a given number of years, an appointment for life, and or a combination of these methods, such as an appointment followed by an election. 
I have wondered, and maybe we can't cover this or you don't know the answer, but like if everyone can appeal if they want to, and I feel like most people, at least with criminal cases, appeal mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. in case. Yeah. Like how do they, how do the higher courts have the capacity to even triage all of those appeals and decide which ones to even hear, let alone hear them and decide on them? You know what I mean? Yeah. Can't your appeal be denied to even hear it? Mm-hmm. And also, it's not always a full case. Sometimes it's just a judge reading through what's already happened, right? I know. Mm-hmm. I just feel like there would be tens of thousands of cases. Like, it's just like a, a sheer number. Even if you're just looking at one a one sheet of paper mm-hmm. talking about the case and the decision and going, no, this, this is, we're not going to do this. We're not yeah. going to do this. We're not going to do that. That's still, I mean tens of thousands of man hours. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. I really don't know. Yeah. This is all so complicated and it just varies so widely. <laughs> right. That, like, oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> Chat to answer your question. Okay. Uh-uh. So there are eight types of state judges. We have the municipal court judges, state magistrate judges, uh, Intermediate state court trial judges, superior court judges, state appellate court judges, state supreme court justices, state administrative judges, and specialty court judges. Mm-hmm. Fun fact, bailiffs are a special kind of police officer just for courts. Yeah, and they tell you when to stand up. I mm. thought they were just, hey, Greg's <laughs> on the docket for today. Like just like a security guy, but not like an actual police officer. No, I knew it was a police officer, but I thought they just kind of rotated through police officers. But it's a specific type of police officer who is a bailiff. Yeah. I think I felt that because they seem to like really, really know the decorum. Yeah. Well, and I think judges, at least in my case, can select their go-to bailiff, too. Oh. Cool. The hottest not always... The best. Oh. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for Amanda's case. Yeah, me Sounds too. Sounds so Shady as fuck. Here's another fun fact. So the person who translates everything said in court for people who don't speak or understand English flu- fluently, do not call them translators. They are called interpreters. Mm. Okay. Another very specific nomenclature issue. Mm. Are translators for written and interpreters are first spoken. I think it has to do with the level of language bias involved because the person the person who's sitting there depending on the interpreter, they need their words to be interpreted hella accurately. Yes. Mm. Okay. So it's not just a translation, it's an interpretation. I feel like those are two different okay, things. Two different interpretations. So I was curious about holding someone in contempt of court. Like, in theory, I know what that means, but, like, mm-hmm. what does it really mean? <laughs> so basically, being in contempt is being disrespectful to legal authorities in the courtroom, impeding the functioning of the court, or willfully failing to obey a court order such as a subpoena. Mm-hmm. Mm. Or wearing an ugly suit, if you're my cousin Vinny. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. A judge may impose sanctions such as a fine, jail, or social service for someone found guilty of contempt of court, which makes contempt of court a process crime, 
which means an offense against the judicial process. And I was looking through like contempt of court punishments in different countries. In Belgium, if you're fa- if 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 you're held in contempt of court, they have a little mini trial to find whether you're guilty of being in contempt of court wow. immediately. Okay. Like on the spot. <laughs> That's, That's amazing. So Wikipedia made it sound like I'm going with it. Cute. Okay, so I have a mini case. In 1969, Abe Fortas became the first Supreme Court justice to resign under the threat of impeachment. Because remember, we said only one was impeached, but he wasn't actually removed because the Senate didn't go with it. And this guy resigned before actually being impeached. Yes. Okay. It's kind of a wild ride. Okay. Born on June 19th, 1910 in Memphis, Tennessee. Abe Fortas was the youngest of five children and was raised as an Orthodox Jew. He was the first one in his family to attend college, going to Southwestern College on a scholarship. Though he loved Memphis, he aspired to something bigger. Mm. Bigger than Memphis? Bigger what could than possibly Memphis. be? Well, he received a scholarship from Harvard's and Yale's law schools and decided to attend Yale becoming the youngest law student at 20 years old. Like, I guess in Yale's law, at at that time, he -hmm. was the youngest law student in his class. Okay. He graduated, come loudly, in 1933. (laughs) (laughs) Like you do. And right away accepted a teaching position at Yale and then kind of moved on to other jobs. Throughout his career, he worked in the legal division of the Agricultural Adjustment Administration, AAA, Mm. the Securities and Exchange Commission, and the Secretary of the Interior's office. He also worked in private practice in Washington, where he litigated some really important cases, including those defending victims of McCarthyism. Okay. While he was the Undersecretary of the Interior... He became friends with Lyndon B. Johnson. Ever heard of him? The B stands mm. for big dick. Big I was dick. Say he's the guy with a big hog. <laughs> that fucking hog. Salute that hog. Yeah. Hog girl summer. Hog girl, hog girl summer. summer. I don't know why I said a hog. That's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> you went for it. I did. Yeah, honey. Johnson later nominated Fortas to the Supreme Court. So as we know, the president nominates you and then the Senate has to confirm you. Mm-hmm. So Fortas was sworn in as an associate justice on October 3rd, 1965. So I had to look this up. There are nine justices on the Supreme Court. Eight of them are associate justices and there's one chief justice. Oh, okay. So right now that's John Roberts. Mm-hmm. I knew there was a chief justice. I knew some of them were associate justices, but I didn't know it was all eight. I thought there was maybe mm-hmm. like three tiers, but okay. Nope, there's just two tiers. That makes sense. Okay. Fortas supported civil liberties, such as extended due process protections to juvenile offenders and students' protest rights. So specifically, the Tinker versus Des Moines Independent Community School District. As we all know. Yeah, ever heard of it? Tinker versus DSM. Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Famous case. Are you unfamiliar with it? Unfamiliar. Extremely unfamiliar. We learned about it in high school. It's not just because I live in Des Moines. Mm -hmm. This family, the Tinker family, the mom worked for like a peace social justice group in Des Moines. This was in the late 60s. And mm-hmm. so her kids were really politically active. And it was like 
I think I think it was four siblings, the oldest of which was like 15. Mm-hmm. And then like a like 12, 13, 11, 9, something like that. And then uh, one of their friends, they were protesting the Vietnam War at their school by wearing these black armbands mm-hmm. with a peace sign on them. There's a picture on the drive, which will be on the blog. Okay. And uh, the school like suspended them or something. So they sued and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. Mm. So now in First Amendment cases, specifically within schools, they have the Tinker Test, which is based, it's it's set a precedent to where dis, quote unquote disruption within a school, there is a certain threshold where mm. you are infringing on students' First Amendment rights. Mm. Oh, so like there, a certain amount of protest has to be allowed under the First Amendment, yeah. Right. Mm. Oh, so that's okay. called the Tinker Test. That is important. It is important. Yeah. Okay. So despite all of these cool-sounding things, he was also somehow against the right to privacy, and he also hated the press. So fun. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. In 1968, when Chief Justice Earl Warren resigned, LBJ nominated his buddy Fortis for the position of Chief Justice on the Supreme Court. But many claim that Fortis closeness, his close friendship with Johnson violated the separation of powers. They were quite close. You should look at the picture that I have in my folder of Oh God. LBJ like leaning over. He would do that to people to intimidate them. I think they're doing a goofing. I think they're just oh. having a laugh. Yeah. But he would do that to people on purpose. That's Yuck. so fucking gross. I don't like that. I don't either. No. Rubbing That's a no from me, Dag. Big dick LBJ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So LBJ's political rivals, including Nixon and Southern Democrats, because remember, this was the 60s, so there were still like segregationalists. Mm-hmm. Segregationists were split. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thought this arrangement was quite fishy. Mm-hmm. Anti-Semitism also definitely played a role here because, again, mm-hmm. he was raised Orthodox Jewish. Mm-hmm. So also those Southern Democrats weren't a huge fan of that. Mm-mm. No, Mm-mm. no. The, na- so the National Socialist White People's Party started a phone cool. campaign that summer. Really buried the lead, y'all, with that name. <laughs> they were really prominent. Condemning Fortis as, quote, a despicable Jew with a red record that smells to high heaven. We're basically right back to this level of overt. Yeah. Fucking fascism. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like this, this party, I'm sure exists now. Like this mm-hmm. is, this is where we're at mm-hmm. now. People. Yeah. Fortis himself called the effort to defeat his nomination, quote, anti-Negro, anti-liberal, anti-civil rights and anti-Semitic. With his subsequent cool. nomination hearing, because he had, I think that if there's, if your nomination and like ascension to chief justice is contested, you have to have a hearing in front of the Senate Mm -hmm. for the Senate to approve you. Because most Mm -hmm. of the time it's just going from associate justice to chief justice. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. But in this case, people really fucking cared about it. Right. So he had to have a nomination hearing. He became the first sitting associate justice nominated for chief justice ever to appear before the Senate. He underwent four days of questioning about his legal career, his judicial philosophy, and his relationship with Big Dick LBJ. 
I'm picturing Hillary Clinton like this. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Not so, Brett Kavanaugh crying. Right. I like beer. I like beer. <laughs> hanging out with my friends, Boner Champ and Broccoli Rob. We boofed. We boofed, okay? <laughs> I like beer. God. Okay. Please let me be a judgy on the big supreme court. <laughs> Please. My daddy really wants this. Oh, my God. Okay. Please. <laughs> so that sucks for Fortis and like humanity in general, but it does get worse and more complicated. Mm-hmm. So it came out that Fortis had accepted $15,000 for some speaking engagements at American University's Washington College of Law. And that money had come not from the university, but from private sources that represented business interests connected to 40 different companies, mm-hmm. some of which were like tied to him directly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. While the fee itself was legal, the size of the fee raised much concern about the court's insulation from private interests, especially as the speaking fee had been funded by former legal clients and partners of Fortis. Well, this is just going to come right back around, you guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. The $15,000 in 1969 represented more than 40% of a Supreme Court justice's salary at the time. And was seven times what any other American university seminar leader had ever been paid. Yeah. So, so it, was, it was fishy. It was as a fuck. lot of money. Yeah. It's not good. Yeah. Strom Thurmond also really didn't like Fortis, especially I because. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> especially because Fortis had voted to overturn obscenity laws. Mm. So Thurmond obtained some of the, quote, obscene films in question and played them in the Senate building while the hearings were out of session. This was happening during these hearings. So everyone, like, went home for the afternoon. And Strom Thurmond Thurmond set up his projector and played these movies, including scenes of strip teases, rapes, and homosexual sex. Wow, cool guy. And somehow that was to shame Fortis, who was just yes. ruling in favor of free speech. Correct. There it is. And not Strom Thurmond, who chose to do this on the Senate floor. Yep. Uh-huh. The cool. showings became known as the Fortis Film Festival. Ugh. And they ended up doing a lot of damage to his image. The dance, the. Damage that alliteration has done to our society. <laughs> I know. I love it's, them. I can't help it. I know. But it's like rough. they're so powerful and our little like lizard brains like cling to them so much. Mm-hmm. And it's dangerous. Maybe that's why he hated the press because the press loves alliterations. Oh, they really do. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, LBJ withdrew his nomination for his buddy. So Fortas remained an associate justice mm-hmm. until 1969. But wait, there's more. Mm. When Life magazine revealed that he had agreed to act as a paid consultant to the family foundation of a man under investigation for securities fraud. The deal was that he would receive $20,000 every year for the rest of his life. And then after his death, that money would go to his widow for the rest of her life. So $20,000 at the time is about $160,000 today, every year for the rest of your life. I would love it. Where do I sign up to be be a paid consultant? That'd be great. Don't do securities fraud. 
Don't do it. <laughs> Money, please. At first, he took the deal because that kind of arrangement wasn't unheard of among other judges and justices and wasn't illegal. But he realized how bad it looked given everything else. So he like right after he agreed to it, he gave the money back and then received no further payments. But the damage had already been done. Mm-hmm. And for reasons that are apparent to us now, but weren't at the time, Richard Nixon, who was now the president, was all fired up to get Fortas impeached and removed from the Supreme Court because he was he the also, liberal one. He fucking mm-hmm. hated LBJ, too. Yeah. Nixon did. Yeah. Well. But also Nixon knew what shenanigans Nixon was up to and was, mm-hmm. you know, in case mm-hmm. something did go to the Supreme Court, yeah, he, he didn't want a liberal to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <sighs> all of this was stacking up against him and Fortas instead decided to resign and resign he did on May 14th, 1969. He continued to practice law until his death in 1982. It's interesting. I didn't realize that any, like, Supreme Court justices, like, left and then kept working. Mm-hmm. Left the either. Supreme Court? Yeah. Yeah, he went, he, he did a private practice thing. I think he, like, established a law firm in Washington. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, also, his wife was also a lawyer, which was another reason he decided to resign because he was getting threats mm. to investigate his wife and all of her stuff. Which, well, like, this if- is really rigging. This is hitting very close to yeah, home. Yeah, like, like my case. <laughs> <laughs> and if this guy had to resign, then more people should resign. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. So anyway, there's there's uh, Abe Fortas for you and some wow. background on judges. Good job. Who Thanks. knew you had it in you, Des Moines? Tinkers. Tinker Taylor Soldier Spaz. Freaking tinkerers. All right. Well, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors and then I will rage. Okay. Do you know how much your subscriptions cost? No. I thought I did. I was really off. (laughs) And most Americans think they spend around $80 a month on subscriptions, which sounds normal, when the actual total is closer to $200. Great. That's great. If you don't know exactly how much you're spending every month, you need Rocket Money. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Yes, please. Over 80% of people have subscriptions they just forgot about. Yeah. Yep, my hand is raised high in the air. Mm -hmm. Like that streaming service you bought to watch that one show on or that free trial that you never even used or canceled. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's me. I was paying like $8 a month for a plant identification app. Oh, honey. Yeah. (laughs) That is something you don't use. Mm -mm. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want or that plant identification app. Mm -hmm. Simply find the subscription you don't want and press cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you like magic. No more long hold times with customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as the click of a button. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money, saving the average person up to $720 a year. I am embarrassed to admit 
the amount of money that Rocket Money has saved me because it paints a very clear picture of how ridiculous my finances were before <laughs> Rocket Money. Well, it's working. I'm saving more than the average person. Let's put it that way. Okay. (laughs) So stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash gals. That's rocketmoney.com slash gals, rocketmoney.com slash gals, and treat your budget. Treat it. Support for today's episode comes from Honey Love. And if you haven't tried Honey Love, it's about time. Mm-hmm. I'm actually looking forward to Amanda's wedding because this is shapewear that really doesn't feel like traditional shapewear. It is comfortable. If it makes you feel better. Yeah. The support. Like how? I I don't know. And it's wedding season now. I've already been to three weddings this year. I got several more to go and this you got to listen to this ad. So whether you're a bride, a guest, a groom, or looking for every, an everyday fit, Honey Love is your go-to for all things shapewear. Honey Love has revolutionized compression technology. I love compression, I gotta say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you no longer have to feel like you're suffocating while wearing effective shapewear. You'll immediately feel and see the difference, and we have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You get 20% off your entire order with our exclusive link. That's honeylove.com forward slash wine. So you can support our show and check them out at honeylove.com forward slash wine. Yeah, uh, I'm obsessed with Honey Love. I have replaced all my other shapewear. It's all gone in the bin. It's only Honey honey Love from now on out. Like, it's so good. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite things that they have is their best-selling superpower short. It has become my go-to. It has targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas where you need less compression and you maybe want to flaunt your booty. Throw it off a little. For example, their signature X targets and sculpts your midsection without squeezing your natural curves. It's designed to work with and for your body and not against it. And I take my comfort very seriously. <laughs> you do. <laughs> uh, and Honey Love is actually comfortable. Like, I can't even stress this enough. Also, like, I'm a sweaty Betty. And so other shapewear could become real scary real fast. Not Honey Love. It's somehow breathable. I don't know. They're, it's, it's magic. And you won't have to worry about it rolling down thanks to their flexible boning that's hidden in the side seams. This is like... NASA level construction people. Mm-hmm. It's not squeezing your body into like an unnatural shape. It's like supporting and smoothing was already there. And that's my favorite part about it. Mm-hmm. So treat yourself to the best shapewear on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com forward slash wine. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com forward slash wine. Treat your bod. Treat it. So... This could literally be its own podcast series, and lo and behold, it is. Um, I've been listening to the latest season of Slow Burn from Slate. Mm. It's so good. What's the latest season? Clarence fucking Thomas. Mm. Oh, good. So that is who I'm covering today, and there's so much that Mm -hmm. I can't even cover all of it. I had to, like, pick and choose the parts of his shittiness that we had time for today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. 
So great. won't be able to cover everything, but check out Slow Burn and then also like a million trillion articles online and all my sources will be on the blog. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Clarence Thomas was born on June 23rd, 1948 in Pinpoint, Georgia. Cute. Oh, sounds small. Yeah. (laughs) He is currently the U.S. Supreme Court's oldest member, appointed in 1991 by George H.W. Bush to succeed Thurgood Marshall, who was the court's first black justice. Mm -hmm. I used to get Strom Thurmond and Thurgood Marshall mixed up because of the other and they're very different not the same (laughs) they're yeah black and white different Mm -hmm. yeah anyway so i wish we could really dive deep into what happened to this man over time because it's kind of bananas like i learned so much about what he what clarence thomas used to be like Mm. and it's bonkers so like how when he was a child, he was raised by a single mother in the Jim Crow Deep South, like outside of Savannah, and how he was raised speaking Gula, but eventually mm-hmm. chose to be an English major in order to, quote, conquer the English language. Mm-hmm. What's Gula? I think it's, it's Gullah, the, uh, like the Gullah people of like oh, the South. Yeah. Gullah? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. I've never heard oh, of that. I only think it's that because I used to watch this show on Nickelodeon called Gullah Gullah Island, and it's like a whole thing, like a whole cultural. It's kind of like a Creole. Yeah, that's Gullah. Local dialect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, okay. My, my, I'm sorry. And how he wanted to be a priest, but left the seminary after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. because he thought his Catholic boarding school wasn't doing enough to combat racism. Yeah, okay. So like, he I'm was sure like, they weren't. Yeah. yeah. So like, he was woke. He Yes. Mm-hmm. And now he literally had a poster of Malcolm X on his wall for years. Mm. And he's really sad what given the trajectory. Yeah. And he founded the Black Student Union at his college. Man. He was like very active in like Black student politics and organizing. Ugh. Dang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's... Uh, and how he organized Internalized and led walkouts. Internalized white supremacy is a bitch. It's a he bitch. organized and led walkouts to protest disciplinary inequalities between black and white students. Although at the time he was strongly against interracial relationships because mm. he mm-hmm. disapproved of black men dating white women because he thought it was unfair to black women. Interesting how that panned uh, out. Oh, okay. His wife is white, right? Yes. His, she's yeah. his second wife, but yes. Ginny Thomas, batch yeah. Ginny is white. Oh my god! Mm. So he had like lots of white friends. He had a white roommate that he was very close to, but he at the time in college he was like, no, like black men should not date white women. Mm-hmm. And how at twenty two he married a black woman, Kathy Ambush, who worked. She like dropped out of college and took a job so she could put him through law school. Mm-hmm. And she put her own legal career on hold. I think now she is a lawyer. And how he had a son with her named Jamal. So what the fuck happened to this man? Yeah. he's Because uh, the person I'm describing is very different from the person we see today. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, at the College of the Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts, Thomas witnessed what he calls riots, but they were just like student protests against the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And these like skirmishes, like he like was horrified by this, that things like got rowdy. No one got actually hurt, like nobody Mm -hmm. died or anything. 
but it just put him off of protesting in general. And he started to like, that's when it, it, he started to like pull back from some of his like civil rights organizing, but not completely yet. It was just like the very first thing. Yeah. And he just instead focused more on his studies. He went on to Yale Law School. Ever heard of it? And briefly interned with a civil rights attorney back home in Savannah. But that wasn't really like the experience that he had dreamed of because this particular lawyer, like this particular individual sounds like was an alcoholic and like not great at his job. Mm -hmm. And like hashtag never meet your heroes. Like Clarence Thomas was really upset by this and Mm -hmm. just had like a bad summer internship. So he was like, well, I guess I don't want to be a civil rights lawyer anymore Mm. and gave up on that idea from one internship. Yeah. Too bad that one guy was kind of a dick. Yeah. Mm. So now he starts to fall in with some like pretty famous conservative thinkers while he's at Yale Law School, including John fucking Bolton. So it's Yale's fault. Yeah. So, yeah, he was like this Malcolm X guy in undergrad and then he goes to Yale Law School and literally John Bolton I think like found Clarence Thomas's wallet like he dropped his wallet somewhere and John Bolton returned it to him and that's how they met and became friends and literally it changed like the course of history do one decent thing and watch the dominoes fall yeah I should never have returned Blot Bleely's planner that one time seriously no how fucking horrible is that So now he starts to get in with some of these like conservative networks on the right. Mm -hmm. And he still considers himself a Democrat at this point, but he's wobbling. Mm -hmm. And then he graduates from Yale. But despite having worked really hard in law school, he's unable to secure a job at one of the big fancy law firms like most of his classmates could because Mm -hmm. it's fucking Yale. And Thomas decides to blame affirmative action for this what the fuck so this is his thought it's not he doesn't think it's the racism Hmm. he thinks it's the affirmative actions fault for well they are racist for quote devaluing his yale law degree and making other people think that he didn't earn the yale law degree Mm. and so That's why he didn't get hired. Got it. Okay. Perfect sense. Yeah. Okay. 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 Got it. Okay. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Also, he denied, including at his like confirmation hearings, that he ever benefited from affirmative action, even though he went to Yale Law School the year that they started doing affirmative action. Mm-hmm. Which, like, he had every right to be there. He had worked very hard and gone to these great schools and was a great student. But just saying that, like, I didn't benefit from affirmative action and affirmative action is why I didn't get a job after law school. It's like such mm-hmm. a weird circle to try to square. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't get it. So anyway, he basically takes the only real job offer he gets, and that is to work for Missouri's Republican attorney general, who Mm -hmm. is named John Danforth. And I feel like he met Danforth through the Bolton connection, but I could be wrong. The fucking wallet! Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. 
So while there, he was heavily influenced by both Danforth and also the writings of this black conservative economist named Thomas Sowell, who was also super duper against affirmative action and also like every other kind of social benefit like equity yeah welfare and like just all of all of it Mm -hmm. what's that what the free market would want right so from the new york times quote a few years later after he was appointed by reagan to head the equal employment opportunity commission the eeoc he would complain that black civil rights leaders quote bitch 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 moan and moan whine and whine end quote Cool. Jesus Christ. So he has fully switched camps. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now he is a rising star on the right. He switches his political affiliation, like his voter registration, and he is all in on Reagan. Mm-hmm. Oh, also, he like worked for Monsanto for a while. I fucking hate him. It's just so mm. fucking tragic, too, because like the conservative right. All these fucking white politicians are like, yes, a black man that's going to support it. all of our views so we can just pretend that we're not of, racism. Right. Of we're not this, racist. Like, tokenize this person. We're yep. inclusive. It's like you're snuggling up with white supremacy, but they are just fucking using you. Yeah. Like the reason that you are now getting these opportunities is because you're allowing yourself to be tokenized and... Right. Ascribing to all these ideas that ultimately harm you. Like you're benefiting because you're being put in this special position, but you're hurting everyone else beneath you. Mm -hmm. I don't get, I just don't fucking get it. Okay. It's fine. Basically, he was pissed his whole life that like he wasn't able to get the kind of like acceptance and recognition that he thought he deserved within like white hegemony. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so by flipping, he was able to be, like, special enough. Right. I'm in it now. Yeah. To get that seat at the table. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Okay. So there's a lot that we can't get into. We don't have time. His first marriage ends, I think, partially because she was like, I... I you have changed a lot. Mm-hmm. He goes on like a bit of like an alcoholic bender phase. Then he like gets it back together. And in 1986, he meets, and this is her real fucking name. And I did not know that this was her real name. Oh, God. Virginia Lamp. No. <laughs> Virginia Lamp. Virginia Lamp. Wow. Is that woman's... That's- Given name. She That's looks like a lamp. Christian honestly, name. I see it. I see it too. And that's definitely one of those names, Virginia Lamp, where it's like, until we meet Baby Lamp, we just won't know what her name is. Baby Lamp. <laughs> and then she comes out of the loins and it's like, that's Virginia, Virginia Lamp. Virginia Imagine Lamp. going through life as Virginia Lamp. I yeah, hate it. Ginny Lamp. I'm not going to imagine that. Yeah. Ginny Lamp. Ginny so, Lamp. From now on, we National will be Lampoon. <laughs> calling this woman batshit Ginny because that's who she is. Ginny Lamp. So this is how they meet. This is their meet cute. Oh, no. Another wallet. <laughs> They're both troll attending, like acting as trolls while attending this conference about affirmative action. Oh, God. That's how they met. Oh, wow. God. Wow. Okay. Yep. Also, wow. 
This is who Reagan appointed to head up the equal whatever opportunity, whatever commission. Went to go laugh and troll. Who is like anti-anti-affirmative action. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's fine. So so romantic. Okay, so that's he, how they meet. He had- he appointed her to do that? No, 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 no. No, he, Reagan, Reagan appointed, appointed Clarence Thomas. Okay, okay. And yep, he's yep, at yep. this, he's, yeah. Yeah. So she Jesus. was an attorney at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and was considering a run for Congress. God help us. <laughs> she was also fresh out of leaving a new agey cult called Lifespring. Did you guys not, Did you guys not know about Miss Lamp's cult no. past? No. I know, no. I know oh, very little well, about her we past. We can't get into it fully because that would be its own episode. But Virginia Lamp's past was that she was in this wild cult for a really long time deep in it. And then she cool. gets out of it and she becomes an anti-cult activist. And now she's a QAnon. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's just swang in one one end mm-hmm. to the other. She's a little prone. Ginny Lamp. Oh my <laughs> god! Guys, did I know this about no. Ginny? I, I knew, knew she was a QAnon bitch. Yeah. I didn't know that she had already been in a cult. Yeah, <laughs> but it tracks. Oh man! <laughs> wow. I wonder if she sells oh, nail stickers mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm in the market for some yeah. new stickers. A- essential oils. Jamberry. Yeah, I need yep. some wax melts. Oh, uh-huh. I need wax lips. Where's that oh, cult? Yum. This is one of their early dates. She invites <laughs> oh, him no. to one oh, of no. her anti-cult deprogramming group meetings, and they have a great time. No, that's what that's their first <laughs> date. No. One, of, one of them. No. Oh my god! Trolling no. an affirmative action conference <laughs> and then going to a cult deprogramming meeting. Honestly. <laughs> That sounds amazing. Yep. I so mean, I would like your... that as a first date, but <laughs> Ugh, we're freaks. <laughs> oh, I would a thousand percent go on a date to yeah. a cult deprogramming meeting. Oh that my sounds God. amazing. Yes. Can you imagine the swag bag? Need it. The swag uh, bag. <laughs> I think the swag bag would be really good. Yeah, I think so. Not if you're there unironically. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I wrote in this joke, add it to your free date night ideas list. (laughs) (laughs) Added. (laughs) Holy shit. So they got married in 1987 in a Methodist church, which I thought was weird because he was like almost a priest. He was so Catholic. So I don't know Mm. when that change happened, but whatever. It was a happy medium between that and life spring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So then he gets appointed to the Supreme Court, like I said, by Republican President George H.W. Bush in 1991. During his Senate confirmation hearings, Anita Hill, a former direct report of Clarence Thomas's at the EEOC, testified that he had engaged in repeated sexual harassment of her in the workplace. We don't have time to fully get into it, but here's like a really brief summary. The pube on the coke. Uh, don't even, I couldn't even get to that. Oh God. Hill said that Thomas had, re- this is a quote. Hill said that Thomas had repeatedly asked her to go out with him in a social capacity and would not take no for an answer. She said he would talk about sex in vivid detail, describing pornography he had seen involving women with large breasts, women having sex with animals, group sex and rape scenes. Judge Thomas Film Festival for. Yeah. Judge Thomas would also talk about his own, quote, sexual prowess 
in the workplace. If you have to talk about your own sexual prowess, y'all. It doesn't exist. The lady doth prowess too much. The man doth prowess too much. Yeah. And he once mentioned a pornographic film whose star he was called Long Dong Silver. <laughs> no. Ew, I've seen the clip of her having to say that out loud oh, in the hearing. So Anita what's interesting. Has been so oh, much. Poor lady. Yeah. Ugh. What's really interesting is that I learned in the Slow Burn podcast that he had this history of going to see like porno films in sketchy theaters back when Mm -hmm. that was like a thing like peewee and then regaling his friends with stories about the films that he'd seen so there is like like a documented theater who gives a shit do fucking keep it to your keep it in your pants at work yeah talk about it to your friends Mm -hmm. listen i mean you listen to our show we'd say ridiculous shit but yes don't talk about it at Don't the force EEOC. that on, yeah, on somebody at fucking work, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, come yeah. on. Yeah. But I just thought it was interesting that, like, there's a documented history of him doing these things. Mm-hmm. So it's it all tracks. Oh, God. Okay, so we don't even have time to, like, fully get into the Anita Hill thing. Like, that would be its own thing. And also, like, Joe Biden did not handle himself well Fuck during no. that. No. Anyway. Okay, so on to the corruption. We are mainly going to be looking at Clarence Thomas's connection with the conservative billionaire sugar daddy, Harlan Crow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Oh, this was recent. Loving it. This is this is recent. A lot of this came out this year. Yeah. So Crow's Dallas mansion has been listed as the most expensive home in Texas. Mm. Valued at over $55 million. No. That's obscene. There's a photo on the drive. It actually looks quite nice. (laughs) It features a 77-space underground garage. Well. 77 parking I need that for all my scooters, I don't know know 77 people. You don't have to. You need to buy 77 cars. Oh, I kind of like the design of the house, but yeah, yeah it's not as egregious. I thought as it was other gonna be uh, McMansion plantation-y. It's actually Ugh. quite pretty, but anyway, Crow it is look that big. You know, it for doesn't look that big. million dollars. Well, it has an underground seventy-seven car garage, so I feel like it probably has some shit that we're not seeing. That's fair, and there's like a fortress wall. Yeah, there's up like, against be like this it's like a lazy river real yeah, estate. It yeah. has a moat. A legitimate moat. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. They have alligators. So Uh, Crow Crow is a real estate developer from Dallas and the chairman and former CEO of Crow Holdings, a real estate development firm founded by Harlan's father, Trammell Crow. And these all sound like Sarah Palin baby names. Totally. Crow Crow is also just a rough. And Trammell. It's a rough last name. Trammell. Trammell Trammell Crow. Sounds like Dremel. Yeah, no, it's Ugh. bad. It's very bad. So basically, the Crow Holdings build like big ass hospitals, hotels, malls, like huge multi million dollar real estate development projects. Crow is also the co founder of a group called Club for Growth, which sounds like a Reddit, like a subreddit about warts, but it's an anti tax <laughs> conservative <laughs> lobby. It's a Dr. Pimple Popper subreddit. Club, Club for, for Growth. What's my growth. Yeah. Oh God! Felt deeply felt. TLC's new show. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, so no. it's it's an anti-tax conservative lobbying organization. Weird. They also like oppose doing anything to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Mm-hmm. Cool. Those usually go hand in hand. It's great. Mm-hmm. So this is not a small potatoes thing like this goofily named group was actually the largest funder of republican senate campaigns second only to the actual republican party like the rnc (laughs) oh my god for several years okay and it's kind of crazy that i had never even heard of it until writing my notes Mm -mm. they try not to be heard about right yeah it's also one of the biggest backers of Republicans who voted to overturn the result of results of the 2020 election. And they spent about $20 million on these Senate campaigns in just 2018 and 2020. Oh, God. Oof. That's half your home. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, like, we don't agree on politics, but I'm sure Harlan Crow is, like, a nice enough guy. Oh, no, wait. His last name is Crow. He's a he has, He's villain. an old timey villain. Oh, he's yeah. a Bond villain. Harlan Crow. <laughs> he sounds has, like a great guy. He has a vast personal collection of Nazi memorabilia. Oh, okay. <laughs> including two paintings by Hitler oh. and a signed copy of Mein Kampf. Oh, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Just in his personal collection? Yeah. yeah. Some call it a museum, but in his home. Oh. He doesn't like to talk about all of his Nazi memorabilia publicly. I wonder why. <laughs> I, but don't worry, because I, his garden is definitely a conversation starter. It features statues of authoritarian dictators. Like your paintings. Yeah. Including Lenin, Stalin... Nikolai Ceausescu and Yugoslav dictator Tito. Oh, just in his garden. Did he? But like, not his bestie. Commission these. Yeah. Why the fuck? He he looks up to them. Yeah. He wow. likes authoritarian. He likes genocidal dictators. Men. Yeah, powerful I, men in his I, garden just to contemplate in right. a Zen garden. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Also, statues of Christopher Columbus, genocidal colonizer who couldn't navigate, and George Washington, enslaver with bad teeth. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So, Crow and Thomas met in 1996, which is after Clarence Thomas became a Supreme Court justice, which I feel is notable. So, it's not like they were, like, friends before. No one found each other's wallet. Yeah. No, and I, it also definitely indicates that Crow was snuggling up. Oh, yeah. Intentionally yeah. with someone with he access to a lot of power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So this is this is their first, like, I don't know if it's their first interaction, but like their first like real hangout was when Crow invited Thomas to fly with him on his private plane to Dallas, where Thomas to was going to be giving a programming seminar. Yeah. Fuck. Good <laughs> oh, God. Oh my God. So is their very first hangout was On a PJ at a speaking engagement. Yep. Cool. So it wasn't, hey, do you want to grab coffee? It's, do you want to spend the weekend together and get on my plane and, like, talk about how rich I am? Yep. Yep. So they hit it off. And it does seem that they are genuine friends or they spend, like, a shit ton of of time together. 
according to people who actually know them. But like they're they're ha- they're whatever. It doesn't matter if they get along. It's still wrong. So since the very beginning of their relationship and that first PJ flight, Crow has been financing the Thomases' vacations and bankrolling Clarence Thomas's entire extended family. Oh my God. <clears throat> ProPublica reported this year that Clarence Thomas has accepted luxury vacations and other lavish gifts from Harlan Crow without disclosing much of it for decades. Yeah. I had read about that. I just didn't go deeper on just how fucking terrible this Harlan Crow person actually is. I didn't realize it was funding his extended family. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're, yeah. We're about to get to it. Ugh. In fact, he and batshit Ginny have vacationed with Crow every year for more than two decades. The vacations, yeah. Mm-hmm. Including on Crow's 162-foot super yacht, the Michaela Rose. It's thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, too. It's not like, we're going to Sandals, Jamaica, all-inclusive for $1,500 a week. Oh, no, we're about to get to it. These vacations are absolutely insane. They're unbelievable, the money that was spent. Yeah. And the super yacht. Yeah. Do not forget the the super yacht. Private jet, super yacht, all the things. Mm -hmm. All the things. Most recently, they went island hopping in Indonesia, a trip that would have cost the Thomases, not the whole party, just Ginny and and Clarence, approximately $500,000. Oh, my God. For like... 10 days or something. Meanwhile, I'm like figuring out how to find the money to repair my air conditioner. Yeah. I just like this amount of money just makes me It's unfathomable. It's disgusting. For a week. It's so gross. You know how many people you could fucking feed and house Mm -hmm. for that kind of money Mm -hmm. for one week of your life? Clarence Thomas's annual salary as associate justice of the Supreme Court is about $285,000 a year. So two years worth pre-taxes. Pre-tax your Mm -hmm. salary. Jesus. Yeah. So like three years post-tax salary for one this one week vacation. But yeah, I'm sure it's fine. There is such a thing as too much money. Yeah, there absolutely is. Yeah. We're looking at it. Attending the Bohemian Grove, which I had never heard of, but apparently it is an exclusive all-male retreat. That has existed for decades in Sonoma, Mm -hmm. California, that counts among its members several ex-presidents. I don't like anything all male. Mm -hmm. Never a good except a review. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Except a Chippendales review. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I will allow it. Oh, my God. So with this Bohemian Grove thing, like apparently during their like (laughs) retreats, it's men only. But then members, full members are allowed. Woman Haters Club. Yeah. Are allowed to bring their wife and kids uh, at other times. But women and children must leave the property by 9 p.m. So they can circle to go back to their red tent and squat until dawn. Mm hmm. And not if they're on their periods. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah, you can't actually be on the grounds yeah. at all if you're actively menstruating. Right. It's <laughs> wild. Because you could be cursed. A shark. You'll attract scary bears. Yeah. <laughs> bears, sharks. It's just logic. It's right. just logic. It's science. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, with all that blood leaving your brain and coming out your vagina, you can't be trusted mm-hmm. around all these smart men. Mm-hmm. Vagina. Yeah. <laughs> 
vagina or lamp. Oh. <laughs> I know. Amanda was drinking. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I got it down. I'm in a white tea. <laughs> it's just more blood spatter. Keep it together. <laughs> Me. He also Me. had vacations to Crow's Sprawling Ranch in East Texas. And they spend a week every summer at Crow's private resort in the Adirondacks, which like how much vacation time does this man get that he's Fucking taking for real with your $280,000 salary? He's taking multiple vacations each year with this man. It's absolutely like, We ludicrous. don't even do that. Mm-mm. No. Can't oh, afford to do that. No. We're going to start because okay. we need to write more stuff off. Mm-hmm. So ProPublica uncovered these trips by drawing from flight records, internal documents distributed to Crow's employees, probably like, here's the itinerary for today and like Clarence is coming and you know he likes shrimp or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) He lacks his shrimp cocktail. (laughs) I'm guessing. Load up on shrimp. Clarence is coming. You know how much batshit Jenny just loves shrimp. Shruffle mac and cheese balls. Okay, but yum. I know, that sounds really good. I'm making Holy mac and cheese for dinner. shit, that sounds <laughs> so hungry. fucking good. <laughs> okay. But also like real tacky for Virginia Lamp on a, <laughs> on a half a million dollar vacation. Virginia Lamp. <laughs> Blortney is pregnant right now, and let's start trying to convince her to name Virginia. the baby Virginia. <laughs> Virginler. Bite, sweet baby Virginler. No one laughed when I said she should name it Alien. (laughs) Oh, I I didn't get it until you said it out loud. I put the alien emoji. It was real, a real suggestion. A Y L I E N N E. The chat was moving so fast, you guys. Alien. It's kind of cute. I was having a really hard time. Ayla for short. (laughs) Ayla and Ella would be tough. Okay. They also found out, <laughs> based on interviews with an Indonesian scuba, scuba diving instructor. <laughs> Scooping, Virginler. <laughs> if I can't scuba, what is the what Supreme is Court about? even about? <laughs> What's my appointment oh my been about? So it also sticks in my craw, my crow craw. Your craw McGraw. Tim McCraw, that Clarence has publicly repeated over the years a bunch of hokey nonsense about, quote, I don't have, this is a direct quote that he said publicly to the press before all these vacations came out. Mm -hmm. Quote, I don't have any problem with going to Europe, but I prefer the United States, and I prefer seeing the regular parts of the United States. What parts are those exactly? I prefer the RV parks. I prefer the Walmart parking lots to the beaches and things like that. Yeah, but when everyone's sending you on $500,000 vacations, you don't seem to have a problem with it. Indonesian beach hopping. God. There's something normal to me about it. I come from regular stock, and I prefer that. I prefer being around that. Well, that's bullshit. And also, maybe you shouldn't be so impressed by a guy with a disgusting amount of money mm-hmm. to the detriment of literal society. It's just fucking stupid on its face. Yeah. yeah. You're not vacationing in Walmart parking lots. You're being 
private jetted around the globe mm-hmm. by this Nazi fan. Yeah. Bond villain. I forgot about the Nazi stuff. Woo! So we haven't even s- gotten to the Nazi stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I. It's fine. So in a statement, Crow acknowledged that he'd extended, quote, hospitality to the Thomases over the years, but said that Thomas had never asked for any of the gifts and that it was, quote, no different from the hospitality we have extended to our many other dear friends. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) There's no difference. There's shrimp cocktail everywhere I go. Mm -hmm. Okay, I do love shrimp cocktail. I fucking do, too. Mm. Because I'm so hungry. Okay, but I guess hospitality also extends to lavish gift giving, including bestowing a Bible to Clarence Thomas that belonged to Frederick Douglass worth $19,000. He probably thought he'd like it because they're both black. No, just wait. (laughs) Also, a bust of Abraham Lincoln that cost $15,000. Tell me this is your only black friend without telling me this is your (laughs) only black black friend. friend. Yeah, for real. Here, I thought of you. I thought of you. This is related to black people. Oh, my God, says the Nazi. Yeah. Oh, my God. Gifting a portrait of Thomas and batshit Ginny to Yale Law School, along with a $105,000 donation to the Justice Thomas Portrait Fund. Uh, What? These assholes Uh, just love fucking portraits of themselves. A fund to paint more portraits? I guess. I don't know. In the beginning, Thomas did report gifts like the Bible, the bust, and the trip to fucking Bohemian Grove. Mm. But starting in 2004, he curiously stopped reporting his gifts from Crow on his disclosure forms. Hmm. Which might have been around the time when Thomas's teenaged grand nephew, Mark Martin, who T- Clarence and Ginny had like essentially adopted this kid from when he was six and they were raising him like a son in their home. Mm-hmm. I was going to say grand nephew. It's complicated, but it's like it's say it's like his yeah. son. OK. Mm-hmm. Started going to this fancy ass private school and Harlan Crow paid his tuition. Hmm. hmm. For reference, tuition at, quote, Hidden Lake Academy, a private boarding school in the foothills of northern Georgia. No. Runs over $600 a month. $6,000. Sorry, $6,000 a month. My brain couldn't even compute that number. A month. $6,000 a month. I, what is this, rent at a one-bedroom in Manhattan? Yeah. (laughs) Which would be almost half of Clarence's after-tax monthly income if he had wanted to send this kid there himself. God forbid. So, I don't know about you, but my friends always pay for all my vacations and my kids' tuition. That's just- Oh my God, I wish. being a pal. Yeah, why report that? There's no need to report that. Oh, but wait, there's more. Crow has also purchased three properties from Thomas and his relatives, properties that I don't think were ever officially on the market. So it's not like they were looking for buyers for them. Mm. Oh, legal. And these like were not desirable properties for his real estate portfolio. He's a literal real estate developer. It's not like he was like, well, actually, that's a good deal. I want to develop, you know, prime. No. The total cost of the three properties was $133,000. So these are not primo real estate. Were they just lots? No, they're just 
kind of shitty properties Jeez. on small lots in, you know, kind of rural Georgia. Cool. Hmm. Including Clarence's 94-year-old mother's home almost 10 years ago. But oopsie, Harlan Crow owns it, but she still lives there. Mm. And Crow has paid since $30,000 to renovate the property using an award-winning local architect. Nice. Hmm. So nice. So really, he's just paying for Th- Thomas's mother's yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. Very nice life. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Which it's not like she doesn't deserve to live well, but you're just suckling on this the This is teat. all bullshit money. It's all bullshit money. Mm-hmm. 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 It's like, what are you laundering, boss? Mm-hmm. What are we laundering? Yeah. Well, I mean, Clarence Thomas Democracy. doesn't want to have to fork over the money to pay for his own mom. Mm-hmm. So he's just getting the sugar daddy to do it. And what does this guy care for $133,000? He wipes his, his ass Nazi with that. sugar daddy. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. care. According to ProPublica, the extent and frequency of Crow's gifts to Clarence Thomas have, quote, no known precedent in the modern history of the U.S. Supreme Court. I just don't understand how we can look at this. And this is just everything we can verify with cursory online research. Mm -hmm. So this doesn't account for any other kind of like more shady under the table dealings, which you have to assume are going on. Mm -hmm. But like. Given what we know, I just I don't I I don't understand partisanship. Yeah, and I think because they're wanting to end abortion, and because there aren't any set precedents about this right now. This man, this literal Nazi, is just buying a Supreme Court seat, Mm -hmm. like and. Pu- puppeteering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all this fucking is. It's not hard to see it. Mm-hmm. And we, we as a judicial system are just doing nothing about it. Well, who paid off all of uh, Brett Kavanaugh's credit card debt oh. before he got confirmed? We don't know yet. And mm. where is their application to pay off mine? Right. Where is Hunter Biden's laptop? Oh, my God. Honestly. Okay. If I find Hunter Biden's laptop, will you pay off all of my credit card debt? <laughs> Yeah, Please. absolutely not. Not worth it. <laughs> okay, You're so right. it's not worth it. Unlike other branches of government, there are few restrictions on what gifts justices can accept. For example, members of Congress cannot generally take gifts that are worth more than fifty dollars. I think it's if it's like from their own family members, they can. Like if you want to like get your dad something nice for Father's Day, and also it's like fine. who's really auditing that? Well, they're supposed to every quarter. Report it all. Report it all. Yeah, I was supposed to report all my <laughs> tips when I was a server. I don't know if you knew this, but you are not a Supreme Court justice <laughs> or a yeah. member of Congress. Yeah, I didn't. Well, do that. Uh, sorry, so allegedly because that is... I allegedly didn't do that. Yeah. Okay, I do not recall. Okay. <laughs> they were fear. It was a really fucking long time ago, and I definitely had an alcohol problem, so I do not recall. <laughs> I was driving the bus. Well, riding the bus, not driving. Driving yeah. the bus. Well, well. I never had to be sober. I was never behind the wheel. Oh, there you no. go. Like two and a half years. Very different. <laughs> okay. Also, members of Congress need pre-approval from an ethics committee to make to take many of the trips that Thomas accepted from Crow over the years. So, like, we have rules for members of Congress, but not for Supreme Court justices. 
But recently, The Hill reported that new regulations quietly went into effect on March 14th, 2023, clarifying that the justices and all federal judges must disclose, quote, gifts and free stays at commercial properties Mm. or when gifts of hospitality are being reimbursed by a third party who is not the person providing it. So Mm -hmm. basically, like, there were times when Harlan Crow would put up Clarence Thomas in a hotel that he, like, owned, but he wasn't on the trip with him. And, like, that's not hospitality. That is you paying someone up. Yeah. Right. So does that rule mean moving forward or you'd have to go back and move forward? I don't know. Mm. I mean, they're supposed to have been reporting it. He just wasn't. Mm. And also, like, that rule does not cover the super yacht or, like, the ranch or, like, the Nazi garden. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) So the Frederick Douglass Bible. So the... The Nazi garden. The Nazi garden broke him. My Lincoln bust, my Nazi garden. (laughs) It's just mad libs. One of these things is not like the other. other. (laughs) So the news of Thomas accepting these gifts have reinvigorated calls for his impeachment. After the ProPublica article, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeted, quote, this is beyond party or partisanship. This degree of corruption is shocking, almost cartoonish. Mm -hmm. Thomas must be impeached, barring some dramatic change. This is what the Roberts Court will be known for. Rank corruption, erosion of democracy, and the stripping of human rights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's not wrong! Mm -mm. Because it seemed to lack a quid pro quo element, however, some say that Thomas's behavior is not unethical. Did it? Fucking well, did it? <laughs> no. A traceable quid pro quo, I guess. Yeah. You so, could say. Or yeah. yet. Well, yeah. we're about Except to get to Except all it. the bribes you want as long as you muddy where you're actually making, like, doing the puppeteering. Yeah. You know? So this is from a New York Times columnist, uh, Jamel Bowie. Corruption is much more than a cartoonish quid pro quo. When money talks, the world need not take the form of do this and I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. Money buys a lifetime of conversation between men of power. In that fraternity of words and wealth, stories are swapped, trust is gained, respect is earned, ideas are shared, and preferences become policy. Yeah, mm-hmm. the shit they're chatting about while enjoying Sandals Jamaica mm-hmm. is like what's becoming fucking voted on at the, mm-hmm. Supre- the Supreme Court level. But it's mm-hmm. not just, oh, uh, we strike a down abortion. Sure. Exactly. Cheers. They're it's having a corona way and more bitching about Roe v. That. Wade. Yeah. And next thing you fucking know. Well, next thing you fucking know. Mm-hmm. There def- was an underlying quid pro quo, too. Reports found that Crow's anti-tax lobbying group has filed briefs in eight different Supreme Court cases. Mm. And each time Thomas sided with Crow's group Interesting consistency. Yeah, which, like, he wasn't an outlier in all those cases, but he was the decider in, like, five of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's not insignificant. Yeah. And there's obviously so much more to talk about with Ginny. Like, we can't fully go into it, but just the stuff that relates to Ginny and Harlan Crow. Virginia Lamp. Virginia Lamp. Get it right. <laughs> Put some respect <laughs> on my name. It's pronounced Virginia. Nay, lamp. Nay, lamp. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
Mrs. Supreme Court Justice. That's Mrs. That Virginia Jenny Nay Lamp. <laughs> <laughs> okay, in 2009, he Crow reportedly gave $500,000 to a conservative political nonprofit started by Virginia Lamp, Jenny Thomas, <laughs> called Liberty Central. Is the only thing worse than the club for growth. Yeah. Honestly, Republican branding is so tragic. Mm-hmm. It's the gift really lacking. Was initially anonymous, so he tried to just give a cool half mil to her nonprofit that she quietly. started. Quietly. Someone has to report that kind of money. But God. Politico figured it out in 2011, two years later. And Ginny Thomas draws a hundred and twenty thousand dollar a year salary from the group. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. She's working so hard. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. bless her, which soul. is not her main job. No. Oh, that's her side gig for one hundred and twenty mm-hmm. grand a year. Mm-hmm. Luck. Less than a year later, the landmark Citizens United versus FEC case, which was a five-four Supreme Court decision, five-four. So, yeah. Literally one vote could have changed it yeah. all. Justice Thomas invalidated longstanding campaign finance restrictions. And shortly thereafter, Ginny Thomas announced that Liberty Central will start accepting corporate contributions. Oh, Liberty Central God. will rise again. Many say that Thomas should have recused himself from this case because of his wife's financial benefit. After a watchdog organization pointed out that Justice Thomas failed to disclose his wife's employers, he changed his financial disclosure reports from the last 13 years. How can I you do just that? change mine. Yep. If, imagine if they let you do that with your taxes. Right? What explaining that it was an unintentional omission caused by a, quote, misunderstanding of the filing instructions. My guy, you're one <laughs> of the top justices. In the yeah. land, and you don't yeah. know how to fill out a form or to call H and R Block if and you're confused. Help. Yeah, you can't oh read filing instructions. You can't get a guy for that. You're Go a task Supreme rabbit. Court judge. I can't. So that is just some of my case. There's more, but we don't have time in our format. Jesus uh. Christ. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> he also, like, didn't speak during oral arguments for, like, a long time as a judge. Like, I've as never a heard his voice. Apparently, he has, like, a big belly laugh or whatever. But, like, people said that he was doing it as, like, a protest because he was so Protesting mistreated during the confirmation hearings. gives oral. <laughs> I'm gonna go out on a yeah. limb. He was mistreated during his own confirmation Crow when he was mm. confirmed. Hmm? No, I don't. I mean, yeah. that can very because well be Anita true. Hill, like testimony, and, he feels that, that he yeah, was wrong. Okay. That's what he's referencing. Okay. Yeah, he fucking got away with it. Yeah. Whatever. He still Whatever. was confirmed. That's. I mean, that's the same shit as like Kavanaugh complaining about his mistreatment during his fucking confirmation mm-hmm. hearing. Oh, no, the consequences of my own actions. Oh, no. Oh, look. Mm-hmm. How'd those get in there? Mm-hmm. Great. Well, should we hear a quick word from our sponsors? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's no surprise that getting in a little bit of daily movement, 
Exercise, getting your your body going is crucial for your overall health and well-being. But it can be really easy to make excuses. Maybe you don't have a ton of time. You don't have that motivation. Or it's really hard to get to the gym. You don't have access to the, the equipment that you like. It's too hot outside. We could go on <laughs> with the excuses. <laughs> I know getting to the gym for me is, is a big, big hurdle. But Echelon Fitness could be the game changer that you've been looking for. Echelon Fitness offers a full range of affordable workout equipment, including stationary bikes, smart rowers. I love a rower. Mm-hmm. Sleek fitness screens and the auto folding treadmill. All equipment is connected to provide the full Echelon Fitness experience. Feels like you're in a gym, but you're not. Mm-hmm. You're in your home. But it's clean. Yeah. Echelon Fitness's app provides you with over 1,500 live classes a month and offers over 15,000 round-the-clock on-demand classes with world-class instructors and excellent music from your favorite artists. That is key. You need that to motivate. I agree. And with Echelon, one membership covers a family of five. So there's no, like, sharing of the password issues. Mm -hmm. Echelon makes quality, reliable, affordable exercise equipment accessible to all. Also, if you're concerned about safety standards, don't be. Because before any Echelon bike reaches your hands, it undergoes rigorous testing to meet and exceed international safety standards. Yeah, so no more excuses. Text WINE to 818181 and get $200 off your new Echelon. Just text WINE, W-I-N-E, to 818181 to get this special discount plus free shipping and risk-free 30-day returns. Again, text WINE to 818181. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Are we ready for my case? I'm not ready for anything. I'm, I'm emotionally devastated. Okay, well, yes, there's nothing I can do about lip that. <laughs> My photos are both crucial and hilarious. So okay. if you want to soothe yourselves a little bit with that, okay, we'll get to it. Okay. Wow. Okay. okay. <laughs> wow. It's all really runs the gamut. So Thomas J. Maloney. Thomas J. And I did include a photo of Thomas J from my girl labeled (laughs) Good Thomas J. He can't see without his glasses. He can't see without his glasses. (laughs) I don't know why I gave her a southern accent. Talk about being emotionally devastated. Oh my God. (laughs) I know. Anytime my therapist is like, trace your early childhood trauma, I'm like, well... Brave little toaster, my girl, <laughs> Milo and Otis, my oh Homeward my bound. god, the fox and the hound, oh the fox bound. and the hound, get out of here, <laughs> no, get out of here, so I'm fucking devastated, so sad. devastated, I emotionally still can't watch devastated, fox and the hound. Frankly, but. babe, when he's oh. sick and the farmer sings to him and he's in the little blanket, mm-hmm. I will Animal mm. Farm start stop Animal Farm. <laughs> Too far. Anyway, Thomas J. Baloney could the have Nazi been the garden. subject. Oh no! <laughs> could have been the subject of a catchy Chicago-style musical. The former boxer was appointed to serve in Chicago's notorious Cook County, and Maloney was in bed with uh, like not just the mob, but like every mob. Okay. 
and found to have fixed multiple trials as high stakes as fucking multiple murder trials. Oh, who is this person? Thomas J. Maloney. I'm going to tell you all about it. He easily qualifies as one of the worst judges in history. Oh, okay. So Thomas J. Maloney assumed his position on the bench in 1977 and remained there until his retirement in 1990. And his retirement was pretty forced (laughs) because he got soups arrested. (laughs) During that time, he took bribes and agreed to, quote unquote, fix at least four cases, a lot more than that. But just these are the four that they could, like, get him on, Mm -hmm. including three murder cases. And he also obstructed justice in relation to the investigation of these bribes. And there's like a whole thing that Thomas J. Maloney and a couple of other judges in Chicago sparked this like giant FBI operation called Operation Grey Lord, where they took down a bunch of corrupt uh, judges in and around Illinois. Hmm, okay, okay. So he was part of like a large network of judges that could be bought. That the mob by... was paying off. Yep, precisely. Okay. Maloney started practicing law in 1952 and immediately got his hands dirty by agreeing to take cases for various mobs in and around Chicago. He quickly got into the game of bribing judges himself as a lawyer, even admitting to facilitating a payment to a judge to secure an acquittal of one of his clients who was on trial for murder. Mm-hmm. So he was already well-versed in shady legal deals before taking the bench in 77. He's like, I know that I could pay judges off, so I can also be paid off once I'm a judge. I know that I will never be in a position to be bribed. But please bribe me. But I know <laughs> I'm that- I'm open to it. I, I'm torn on whether I would accept it or whether I'd be too chicken shit. It depends on what judge, it's for. I'm not a judge, so I will accept Right. Whatever bribe you're probably trying to get me to take probably does has low stakes. Right. I'm not I'm not the difference between a murder conviction right. and an acquittal. Right. So show me the money. Unless you yeah. witness a murder. Mm. I'd consider the bribe. It depends on the circumstances, but I would consider it. Mm. I'm just letting everybody know. But I'd also be chicken shit to take it, and I'd be chicken shit to turn it down. If it's from the mob. I'm gonna take it. Depends on how much the bribe is for. I'm paying yeah. for a wedding. I'm taking that. <laughs> okay. As a judge. That's a good thing we're not judges, you know? Exactly. Like Th- this is the only reason why I could never be a judge. I'm the just like only reason. too probable. Yeah. <laughs> the only reason. The only reason. <laughs> As a judge, Maloney didn't just get his own hands dirty, but also involved his beloved bailiff, Lucius Robinson Malfoy. His bailiff. What? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not his real name. No, his name is Lucius Robinson, but, you know. Luscious. Who moonlit as Maloney's bag man, mm-hmm. which is the term for the dude who transfers the cash bribes from the mob bosses to the recipient, in this mm-hmm. case, Judge Maloney. Mm-hmm. He quickly came to be known to mob attorneys such as Robert Cooley and William Swano, and Swano and Maloney are like bosom buddies. Mm-hmm. They are besties. It is the... It is the Lincoln bust to his Nazi garden type relationship. (laughs) Got it. Got it. He quickly came to be known to mob attorneys such as Robert Cooley and William Swato as a judge who could be bought. Not long after becoming a Cook County judge, in 1980, his boy William Swato represented a man named Wilfredo Rosario in a double murder case before Judge Maloney. The critical evidence against Rosario was his own fucking confession to the murders. Oh. 
He said he didn't. Okay. From judicialreport.com, which was an incredible resource for my case, so I will be referencing snippets from them frequently. Quote, when Swano was discussing this case with bailiff slash bagman Lucius Robinson, Robinson indicated that he could arrange a fix with Judge Maloney for between $2,000 and $2,500. Doubtful, Swano asked that a personal meeting between Maloney and himself be Yeah, he doesn't want to just waste a bribe on the bailiff who could be bullshitting him. Yeah. Correct. Taking and it for had himself. An, this was like the first trial where they really worked together. So right. Swano's like, no, I want to know that this is Gotta a fucking it. real situation. So at this brief meeting outside his chambers, Judge Maloney told Swano that Robinson, luscious, is, quote, my guy, deal with him. Mm-hmm. Whereupon, in Maloney's presence, Swano allegedly handed Robinson a white envelope with a portion of a bribe. Mm. Then in 1981, Judge Maloney suppressed the confession, mm-hmm. so Rosario's confession, and was able to find Rosario not guilty. It'd be easy as hell as a judge to swing a trial. You just don't oh, yeah. allow certain evidence in. That, mm-hmm. And that was, the, that was the majority of his yeah. game. Yep. So in 1981, again from JudiciaryReport.com, quote, attorney Robert Cooley was contacted by First Ward Alderman Fred Roti and Ward Secretary Pat Marcy to represent a man named Lenny Chow, who was a hitman for the On Leong Crime Organization, and two other individuals who were charged with attempted murder for shooting a man named William Chin in Chicago's Chinatown. So this was like this whole mob shootout. This guy, William, got shot, and now this guy, Lenny Chow, is on trial for attempted murder. Right. An On Leong representative named William Moy told Cooley that he wanted a guaranteed not guilty verdict, which who doesn't? Right. The case was before Judge Maloney, and Marcy assured Cooley that the judge could be bought, but warned him that Judge Maloney, quote, wants a lot of money on this one. Yeah. I mean, he's got an island hop in Indonesia. He's got a mouth to feed, his own, because I don't know if he's married or has any kids, because I didn't look that far, because this guy's a piece of shit. <laughs> Moy agreed to pay $100,000. Oh, my God. That was a A leap. portion of which, yeah, Marcy gave to Maloney as part of the fix. So, like, Marcy gets his finder's fee, mm-hmm. and then Maloney gets, the judge gets the remainder for fixing this trial. Mm-hmm. For doing the work. Yep, but he went into it as an attempted murder trial, but then while they're, like, getting all of this settled, William Chin, the guy who was shot, dies. dies Mm. So now it's a murder trial. As a result of the shooting, and so the charges are elevated to murder. Despite this, Marcy was still able to get Judge Maloney to allow the prior bond to stand as long as a friend of Judge Maloney joined as co-counsel. So Maloney was like, I want to take the money, but the the only way I can pull this off is if I have someone as a lawyer on the inside to also kind of like fix this trial for the jury. Right. Mm. So it's like, I can still do it, but now the stakes are higher. So you need to hire my guy guy as co-counsel. At trial, Judge Maloney, to fix this whole shenanigans. Jesus, this wine is fucking slapping me. I haven't even had any weed. I'm just like, at trial, he admitted a dying declaration. So like the fucking 
On his deathbed? A, a, like a deathbed confession, essentially. But so he allowed it, but ruled it unreliable as in as evidence. So it's like you can admit this mm. evidence, but I'm I'm declaring that this is unreliable evidence. Why admit it then? I don't probably to just keep he the to. heat off of him. Yeah. Because yeah. if he totally tosses it out. Right. Suspish. He's going to. It's going to be really sus. Right. And the defendants were acquitted of wow. this murder. That would be so fucking frustrating. So frustrating. So to keep suspicion of bribery off of him, he made a name for himself as tough on crime, a heavy hitting judge, and especially when it came to gang related cases. Mm-hmm. So not like necessarily mob level shit, but like street gang level shit. Probably because he's also a little racist. Let me guess. A thousand percent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He clearly had no problem putting young men of color who had gotten wrapped up in street gang activity behind bars with extremely harsh sentences Mm -hmm. while being paid off by predominantly white mob connections to clear their clients' names. Right. Because there's such a difference between gangs and mobs. Yeah. They're not synonyms or anything. It's so fucking stupid. As a a result of his tough-on-crime image, he would often be assigned high-profile mob and gang-related cases with the public trusting him to crack down on these, not knowing that he was being paid off to keep dangerous people on the streets and put the wrong people behind bars. Mm-hmm. On some occasions, he recommended the death penalty God. in order to appear super tough. Yep. In one such case involving three young men looking to buy drugs before being robbed and shot to death by William Bracey and Roger Collins in 1981, who like, they did it and they deserve to be behind bars for fucking ever for that shit. But he was using this case to, to cover tough. up his own bullshit. Mm-hmm. So he, quote, deliberately let hit this death penalty hearing become a debacle because imposition of the death penalty would bolster his reputation as a tough judge. In the press. So he In wanted this case to get attention so that yep. more people would know he was being tough. Mm-hmm. Tough on crime. Oh yeah. my god, that is so craven! Oh Isn't my it god, fucked up? it's really fucked up. He was literally sentencing people to death who like for a, the PR booth. for the PR. Yeah. <gasps> so this is from the Pantograph, which is a Chicago like pop publication from the nineties. Thank you, newspapers.com. The appeals court said compensatory bias was evident when Maloney allowed a prosecutor to tell jurors in this trial that Bracy and Collins should be executed because they might escape from Stateville and kill someone else. Oh, that's my God. A, that's not the a... The prosecutor said that in trial. And that was trial, allowed. Allowed to the jury. Oh, that's and so when it was And when that was objected by the defense, the Judge Maloney overruled that objection and allowed that to be admissible in court. That's wow. insane. Yep. They could escape prison they and kill might, someone they else. They could, maybe. We better sentence them to death because maybe this will happen. Oh How insane is that? The court said that sentence argument ordinarily... Yeah. Yeah. The court said that ar- that argument ordinarily would be considered so overtly emotional and unfair yeah. that the defense would win on appeal. But Maloney had allowed it and the jury ate it up. Oh, oh. my God. This Did case has... No, thank God. This case, as well as another one, was ultimately appealed years later after Maloney's corruption had come to light and their death sentences were overturned. I believe they got entirely new trials. They still were guilty. So they were like 
these guys were found guilty, they but it's like executed. they weren't executed and they were they actually saw the like proper justice. Yeah. You know, this is not fucking proper justice. This is a cover up. And also, he probably doesn't care if his shit gets fall. overturned on appeal because no. he did his part. He got paid. Yeah. And he, he had that image. Out. Right. So bribe the appeals court judge. What does he care? Yep. He also uh, protected his own in court. So, for instance, in the deceptive practices case against a man named Ronald Robbie, who I believe was a prosecutor, who was being represented by, you guessed it, fucking Swano. Mm. In this trial, the state allowed the consolidation of five separate deceptive practices charges, including fraud, theft, and bribery, to be presented in one single trial before Judge Maloney. Yeah, it's a fiver. Yeah, Swano wanted to save five money. For Michelle Pfeiffer. It's a five. It's a Michelle Pfeiffer one. <laughs> Robbie feared that he would be imprisoned because of a prior conviction for a similar offense in 1980. So, like maybe two years before. So Swano sought out Robinson, Luscious Robinson, to arrange a $5,000 fix that would guarantee no prison time. Mm -hmm. Like, you can find me guilty. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'll take the guilty, Mm -hmm. but I I don't want prison time. Mm -hmm. So in return, Maloney offered, like, basically set up a plea deal Mm -hmm. that allowed Robbie to be sentenced to probation with work release on Sundays and Mondays. So he was like, on house arrest, and then he could go out those two days. That was it. Hmm. No jail for literally taking bribes and also bribing. Well, at least he learned his lesson. Right. <laughs> Not to take bribes because then he had to give a bribe. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So another case that Maloney took bribes for was in 1982, a man named Owen Jones was charged with felony murder after beating a man to death with a pipe during a burglary. Jesus. Chicago was wild, y'all. Yeah. Swano was hired to represent Jones and immediately approached Luscious Robinson in hopes of securing a fix. A few weeks later, however, when Swano went to court for the Jones case, another judicial cohort and like bailiff, Robert McGee, warned Swano that Luscious Robinson had become too hot to serve as bagman for for Baloney, Maloney anymore. (laughs) For Baloney, Maloney. (laughs) Baloney, Maloney. And had... So that Maloney had asked McGee to take over for Luscious Robinson. Because it, it was getting too obvious that the bailiff that Luscious, was sketch. Luscious was like numero uno bailiff for all of these Maloney cases. Yeah. It's and getting, it was getting... And I wonder if he was living beyond his means. Probably. Yeah. If I was getting that Luscious Robinson money, mm-hmm. I'd be fucking cruising in mm-hmm. my hot rod too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So McGee laid out the terms in what I can only imagine was very similar to a scene from Pawn Stars. And yes, I made a Pawn Stars best I could do meme and put it on the drive slash blog for your enjoyment. (laughs) I made it. I made this in a meme generator. Telling Swano that the best Maloney could do on the Jones case would be to acquit on felony murder, but convict on voluntary manslaughter and impose a nine year sentence. Best I can do is nine years. (laughs) Agreeing that this was preferable to a likely 20 year sentence for felony murder. Jones's mother agreed to pay Swano about $5,000 for the fix. And after trial, Jones was found guilty of voluntary manslaughter and sentenced to nine years. So Maloney, wow. like, made good on his promise. Yeah. He fu- Best he, I can do is nine years. He followed through. I mean, he had this power, and he would do. He did it. He was really good at it, you guys. Oh, my God. Apparently. Like, I'm 
almost impressed. If you weren't such a piece of shit, (laughs) I'd be into it. With the heat on Robinson and therefore Maloney, because it's like, this is always your fucking bailiff, the fuck? Mm Mm-hmm. Maloney played it cool for a few years and didn't take another big bribe until 1985, which would ultimately land him in hot water. Mm, got Earl Hawk, Yeah. Earl Hawkins and Nathan Fields, members of the El Rune, which was a violent street gang that trafficked in narcotics and stolen property, were charged with murdering two men. Judge Maloney was assigned the case and, surprise, Swano represented Hawkins. So one of these plaintiffs in the case. Swano assured Hawkins that he could win a decision in his favor in a bench trial yeah. if if Hawkins could raise enough money for Judge Maloney. Yeah, because a bench trial is no jury, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Maloney agreed to fix the trial for $10,000, but told Swano that the fix was conditional upon Swano, quote, putting on a good case so Judge Maloney wouldn't look bad. Yeah, don't phone it in. Make it look real. Yeah. Oh my God. So the deal was on and the case proceeded to a bench trial. And again, from Judiciary Report, quote, on June 17th and 18th, the state put on its case where three eyewitnesses identified Hawkins as the murderer. By this time, the FBI had become suspicious of Judge Maloney and the Hawkins Fields case, and its agents were watching the trial very closely. Mm. This attention, coupled with the strength of the state's case, because they'd been like working on this Operation Greybeard, Greyjoy, Greyfield, Greylord, whatever, in the background. We got there. (laughs) I got there. Prompted Judge Maloney to have second thoughts about the bribe. Yeah, he doesn't want to get caught. Yep. So new bailiff McGee, Bagman McGee, calls Swano at like 12.33 or 12.23 a.m. on June 19th in the anteroom outside Judge Maloney's chambers to inform him that he needed to, quote, give the books back that he had given him the other day. It's all money. Wink, wink. Do you have any plants? For sale uh, now? Maybe I some need green shoes plants. Size. Trying to buy weed? I need <laughs> shoes size one ounce, please. <laughs> Can I get one eighth of an ounce of salsa, please? Of salsa, please? <laughs> Cilantro? Uh, Cilantro. Cilantro. <laughs> Fucking yum. <laughs> so Swano, hoping to salvage the fix, because he doesn't want to fucking lose this whole situation, told McGee, hold on to those books, at least until the defense could put on its case. Yeah, don't be caught passing books yep. back and Let's forth. Wait. Books. Let's wait. But still, Swano came back from the judge's chambers and told his client Hawkins that Judge Maloney had returned the bribe money, was like calling off the bribe. In a Guy Fieri cooler in the yep. ante room <laughs> in the antechamber. Fucking flavor town. <laughs> Despite going back and forth with Maloney to reconfirm the bribe, by the end of the trial on June 26th, Judge Maloney apparently believed that Swano had not lived up to his end of the bargain of putting on a good trial, put on mm-hmm. a good defense. Mm-hmm. And told him that the fix is off. You didn't do your part. Yeah, it's I can't reasonably be seen to swing this. Yep. You didn't <laughs> defend them good enough. Okay. The next morning, Maloney told Swano that a lawyer had left a file for him, quote unquote, in his chambers and directed a deputy sheriff to retrieve it. When Swano went to the judge's chambers, Maloney handed Swano the file of money that he had passed to McGee at the start of the trial. So that's the return of the bribe, mm-hmm. return of the Mac. Hawkins and Fields were found guilty by the judge and subsequently sentenced to death. 
So he was like, not only am I now that the heat's on me, I'm not going to take this bribe. And I'm going to be tough on this case. I'm going to go super tough on this case because the feds are on my fucking trail. Surprised he even returned the bribe. I guess it was only to like keep Swano happy so that he could keep the gravy train rolling. Yeah. Pretty much. So though the feds were rambling forward with their investigation, well up until 1989, Swano was still presenting cases before Judge Maloney. Like they were super, super duper in bed together. Yeah. Knowing they were under investigation, Maloney even asked Swano in his chambers one day whether or not he was, quote, standing tall, which Swano understood to mean he was resisting the questions of federal investigators. Oh, Judge Maloney also asked Swano if he, quote, needed a lawyer or any sort of help. In the summer of no, 1990. Dude, I'm a lawyer. No, nah, I'm good. I'll represent did myself. Not, did you not pick up on that from all these I, ca- trials? I'm a lawyer. And as long as you preside over our And I have a bribery great case, winning record in front of you. Yeah, we Nuts. got this. In the summer of 1990, in a back stairway of the courthouse, Judge Maloney again asked Swano if he was standing tall because he had, quote, heard that there is a lot of investigation going on. Yeah, idiot. It's like some Donald Trump level. (laughs) I just need to find 11,000 votes. Yep. During the conversation, Swato told Maloney that he understood the government was trying to put together a tax case against him. So like some very Al Capone shit. Mm Mm-hmm. But ultimately, they didn't need they may have even been saying like, oh, we're putting together this tax case to like lull them into a false sense of complacency Mm -hmm. so they could further catch them in the act. I actually don't know if they were even really auditing his taxes. Mm -hmm. I mean, they certainly were to see if they could find. Yeah, it's another charge. And also to see if they could find the like transfer of cash, like those patterns. I'm sure they were auditing his accounts. But they ultimately didn't need to bring him up on tax fraud charges because they found enough evidence and our boy Luscious Robinson <laughs> agreed to Baby sing, boy. sing like a canary <laughs> in exchange for immunity. He gave it all up. Good mm-hmm. for him. Every juicy little fucking yeah. detailed little grape. <laughs> and finally, in June of 1991, Judge Maloney was indicted and ultimately convicted on four counts of accepting bribes, including fixing three murder cases. God. He was sentenced. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison and served 12 of them. He was released in 2007, only to fucking die in 2008. Can't believe he only was sentenced to 15 years in prison for sending people to the fucking electric chair for money. Yeah. Yeah. And as a result of all of his, like, he bribed someone to only give him 15 years. He fucking did. (laughs) He he hired Swano. (laughs) I want to be represented by my bestie. Listen, I totally fucked me, but we have, we are blood brothers. Yeah. I he also because of all of his fucking corruption, a lot of like almost all of his cases were like reopened and went to new yeah. trials. Yeah, including a, a huge lot fucking of waste of state huge resources. waste of resources, and also like a lot of these mob cases and shit where like some really fucked up, yeah. violent criminals People actually violent criminals either got off and more or, people died mm-hmm. or people sure. died but like he also sentenced a lot of these truly guilty people to like prison sentences. or the death penalty and they also get new trials 
Yeah. So like it uh, has consequences on mm-hmm. so many different levels. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, innocent people are sentenced every day. But in this case, a lot of guilty people were also sentenced. Mm-hmm. And then all of those sentences are called into question. Out. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think that that's all been resolved at this point because this was in like 1991. Mm-hmm. But it was years of going back and cleaning up not only his record, but the records of, I think it was like 17 judges in the Chicago wow. area were Jesus. taken down in this Operation Gray Lord, Gray Bird, Gray Joy bullshit. Wow. It was, all, it was bad. It was like, Shit ran deep, y'all. Yeah. Wow. Trust no No. one. Don't do it. No. Power and corruption. No. Well, Uh -uh. special thanks to us. Yep. To Uh, Kenyon. To me. We went (laughs) for it. This was a good one. I got Mm. drunk. Man, I got drunk. (laughs) I I think I'm going to go get drunk. It is 80 degrees in my house right now. I cannot. It's hot. It's Friday. Let's go get drunk. Okay. Bye-bye. I'm ready. I love you. See ya. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers!